Welcome to Women of the Wild, where education and opportunities are key. And friendships are made to last a lifetime. You think we got him? You think we got him? <laughs> we got him. All right, Skylar, what do we got here? We got uh, oh. Oh, there she is. Welcome back to season two women of the wild podcast. We would like to first start off by thanking our title sponsors for the 2024 year. Atlantic Coral Enterprise, one of the largest import dealers in the world with excellent quality for hides, skulls, shells, and amazing gifts for friends and family or even your household. You can find them at AtlanticCoralEnterprise.com. RM Custom Calls, multiple world championships from Main Street to Live Duck. American-made, veteran-owned, when you want to win on the stage or in the blind, we have you covered. Small shop, big sound. You can find them at rmcustomcall.com or on Instagram. We also have Rhino Land Safaris, providing exceptional quality with unmatched hospitality and cuisine, offering African safaris, a destination hunt for the avid rifle or bow hunter with some of the best trophy management South Africa has to offer. You can find them at rhinoland.co.za or on Facebook, Instagram. Hey everyone, Andy Lehman here from ACC Crappie Sticks. Just want to let you know about our crappie baits and jig heads. We have a wide selection of the hottest colors and big eye crappie jig heads in the most popular colors and sizes. Check them all out at acccrappiesticks.com. Thank you. And now for today's episode, we hope you enjoy. Hi, this is Felicia Marie with Women of the Wild. We are here with Hannah Weingold from Michigan. Hannah, how are you doing? Great. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. I know we've had you on before and um, you've came out on a lot of events with us. You volunteered with us. So for those who are just meeting Hannah for the first time through this episode, go back and check out some of her previous episodes. She's a fantastic woman, constantly getting in the outdoors. Today, we're going to touch base on some of the events that we have done together and kind of dig into what you've been up to this summer. Is that okay? Sounds great to me. I'm happy to share. Awesome. So... I guess we'll go ahead and start with, we're going to take this back a few months to March. March, we decided to run down to Texas and did a Women of the Wild hunt together with a group of ladies. And I'm going to just turn it over to you to let you explain it from your point of view. But for our listeners who aren't aware, we went down to Presidio, Texas on the southwest side of Texas with an outfitter, Wicked 7 Outdoors, to do some free-range audads with our ladies. Hannah was one of the girls that got to cash in on a beautiful ram, so I'm going to turn it over to you and put this in your perspective for our listeners. Thank you. So basically, I was still pretty fresh to the Women of the Wild group. I joined and found it back in August of 2022, 
So I ended up going out on a couple trips and this was the big one for me. So growing up in West Michigan, it's pretty flat. It's a little hilly, nice and cold pretty much for most of the year. So it was a big step for me to come to the decision to do it, but you got to take your chances when you get them, of course. So I booked the trip. And I told myself I would be exercising, I'd be getting in the gym, uh, getting my cardio up, and, you know, life happened, so I didn't end up doing that. But I dove right in head first, and the day came for me to go, and we headed out. So I think I met up with... I met up with you at a location near you, correct? Yeah, I, I think you came to my house, if I'm not I mistaken. Did. I did. Yeah. I came to your house, met up with the other girls, and we headed out for the uh, 27-hour road trip. Yes. <laughs> Which is nothing anymore. It is literally like a three-hour road trip for me at this point. Are you getting um, used to that by now? We, I mean, we just went for planes back in January and did that same drive down to Lubbock. Yeah. I mean, that shaved a few hours off, but we've done a couple of long drives. How was the drive for you? It wasn't bad. I thought I would be a lot more uncomfortable or car sick, especially being seven weeks pregnant when we left your house. <laughs> yeah, I handled it really well. I worked on some school on the way down and we just talked and it was a great car ride because we all got along and we all went and got food when we needed to and stopped when we needed to. So it was really comfortable. It wasn't as bad as a lot of people chalk it up to be for a road mm-hmm. trip of that length uh anytime anyone complains about three hours I'm like oh I do that you know <laughs> I'll do that to go see Felicia for an hour or two not a big yeah. deal yeah and you have done that now I know we made some pit stops and like we kind of make the best of our road trips right so when we do our trips with women of the wild and we're gonna have these long carpools we've made like the pit stops and we've made plans so what was one what was one of your favorite pit stops that we did on the way down my favorite pit stop and probably the best pit stop other than when we got to uh, our location in texas was in springfield missouri mm-hmm. uh, at the wonders of wildlife museum bass pro yeah. shops mm-hmm. that was an amazing experience and next time I go it's definitely going to be a multi-day trip mm-hmm. <laughs> but we went in uh, we got to see the whole giant store and then we went into the museum uh, which is also which also includes the aquarium which was wonderful I got to pet stingrays uh, see you know alligators they had bears there in the zoo portion um, they had a lot of history as well if you're a histor- if you're a historical fan um, the best part was probably Teddy Roosevelt's cabin that they had a portion of yes, inside of that museum and it was just great because growing up museums were a big part of what got me interested in the outdoors and conservation and science things like that the layout was just fantastic all the scenes and it was something I'm never going to forget and I have to go to again hopefully soon in the future <laughs> hopefully I can get back down to Texas with you guys very soon yeah but yeah that was the highlight of my trip and then uh one of the motels that we stopped at was a it was a fun one it was an experience <laughs> it's you know and it's it is funny because I think that being northerners we have it's just a different lifestyle and expectation but yes, yeah, we we stayed at a hotel that was sketchy at best. And but honestly, even through all of that, like we had an amazing time at the museum and we spent like half a day there. And I agree. I think that next time we need to like 
we should spend like a full day there or make it like a multi-day thing and like leave a day early just to be able to really like see it all and absorb it. Cause there's so much that we almost had to like kind of run through it. It'd be nice to slow down and take our time. Absolutely. Um, so we, we stop in a hotel in Oklahoma and we stayed the night there. And then from there, we did another 10 hours and drove to West Texas. So once we got there, I want you to tell me top to bottom how that experience went from once we arrived in those mountains to Presidio the first time you saw them. I know a lot of people don't realize that Texas has mountains and let me tell you they do, but I want you to hear it from Hannah's perspective of how this entire trip went. So I'm going to turn that back over to you. Yeah. So once we got down to the Presidio area, we refueled, we made sure we had some water, snacks, things like that, because we still had about two hours until we got to the campsite, just trudging through the mountains. So I had never seen mountains before in my lifetime and just seeing them from miles away, getting bigger and bigger as we approached was definitely a breathtaking. I don't know. I took a lot of pictures. Pictures never do it justice. But these mountains out there are just towers. It was insane. It's really hard for me to describe it. It's something you can only visually interpret yourself, if that makes sense. But it was just breathtaking. And then once we got into the thick of it, it was even more crazy just seeing the uh, way that they're built. Tons of rocks, big rocks, little rocks, clay, sand, and cactuses everywhere. There were no trees, which was a big difference compared mm-hmm. to where, you know, we're from Michigan, There's trees everywhere. Mm-hmm. Our mountains are hills with big trees on them. <laughs> so it was something else. On the way in, we even saw, I believe, about two or three herds, smaller herds of Audad running through the tops or along the Are sides. In, in Marfa? Yes. So, so that was... Hannah, I didn't realize that you had never seen mountains before that trip. I don't think we discussed that. No, yeah, that was my first time. And that was... You had a full absorption then because you went from never even seeing mountains to being in them for a week. I felt like I was in another country or not on another planet, especially the farthest I've ever gone was, let me see, Georgia before I went to like Nebraska with you guys and then went to Lubbock. But Lubbock is just flat cotton fields and red dirt but yeah that was definitely something else and I felt so foreign to that place but also it felt welcoming at the same time right yeah and on that drive-in we saw pronghorn and javelina so we we definitely got to see wildlife even before approaching into where our campsite was rolling up into our campsite though how did that go for you? How did you feel? Were you like a little bit taken back of like how back country it was? Or were you like fully absorbing and immersing yourself in it? Yeah. So once we hit one of the longer roads on our trek back there, no service, nothing, <laughs> no Spotify. So I was like, all right, we're getting off grid. We're getting in there. So seeing how desolate and empty it was, I was just taking it all in. It wasn't really off-putting at all for me because I was with a great group of people, of course, and I was ready to take on this challenge. But once we rolled up and we finally made it to our camp spot, right at the bottom of, I believe it was number five, one of the mesas, I look up and I'm like, wow, we're really just going to be right here in the middle (laughs) of nowhere, right near the Rio Grande. And it was life-changing for sure, just to pull up and realize this is where I'm going to be living for the next six, seven days. And I was ready for it. 
And on the way in, and even in our campsite, we had the free range cattle, horses. So it was pretty neat just to see how unique it was out there and how self-reliant we're going to be without phones, just because this generation and this time and day, we always have our phones. We're always busy with something. Just having that break, it felt it was a rush for sure the whole time. But it really hit me once we started setting up all of our gear and our tents and getting settled in. Yeah. And I, I've told people this before, like our campsite was no joke, like 10 feet from the Mexican line. So being at a campsite where you are literally looking at Mexico, well, I guess we weren't looking at it. It was to our backs technically because we were facing five, but the Rio Grande, literally we went and dipped our toes in it. And like, it was just a really, it's, it is a really cool experience to be that close to a border and have that type of experience. If you've never experienced it, it's, it's really just hard to explain. So we get camp set up and we have our, our night. And from there we did, we did some sighting in with the firearms and got you nice and comfortable with that. Oh yeah. So we set we set up a range. I believe it was the next day or was it the same day? The time just kind of rolled by so slow that I couldn't really tell what day it was <laughs> to be honest. But we had set up a nice range. We had it at about 300, 350 yards from where we were shooting. So we popped off some shots and made sure we were sighted in and comfortable. And we sat in different positions that were a probability of how we would be setting up if we got to encounter an Audad. So we got that dialed in and taken care of. Going back to the Rio Grande, it definitely was a little, like it was beautiful, but it was a little underwhelming because Rio Grande, you expect a ginormous river. And it's this, I would say like 15, 20 foot wide river. It's super shallow. Um, but if you look across the border, across the river, you would see more mountainous mesas. And there were multiple times during that whole trip that we got to see wild burrows. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw whooping cranes. I know that we saw some pelicans when we were driving by uh, one of the marshes mm -hmm. on the way in. So it was really cool to see all these different species that I've never been able to see before and just experience this whole other world. Yeah, that's I, I agree with you. When I first went there, I was like, oh, man, I expected the Rio Grande to be a little more, I don't know, grand. <laughs> but like you also got to understand like the the part that you're in. Obviously, there are parts where the river opens up quite a bit. The, the area where we were at, you literally could have like walked across it without getting your knees wet. So it, it is it's kind of funny that that is seems to be the consensus of all the girls that were on the trip is they're like, man, I expected the Rio to be like grand and it's not. No. And it was like I said, it was still amazing to be there and to see it and to touch it, even on the walk from camp to the Rio Grande. We saw javelina tracks, the wild cattle and cows. We saw, a, I think it was one or two sets of mountain lion tracks as well. So that really kind of set in the reality mm -hmm. that we're out here hours away from anybody, any hospital with these giant predators, which wasn't really intimidating because, you know, we're a bigger group of people. We're going to be safe no matter what. But you don't see that where I'm from. Right. Yeah. We don't have the big cats like that, especially. Well, and I mean, we did. We saw tracks numerous times in the sand. And I know there was a point in time that 
you know, I was down there helping guide for this event as well. And there was a couple of times where I know Austin and I had pushed forward and found tracks, but we actually had a point in time where we had tucked you girls up into one of the caves uh, to kind of keep cool and get hydrated and take like a snack break and everything. And him and I had pushed forward to kind of check out the trail because it was one of those ones where we had to go like up and over the spring due to like the bees and wasps and everything because one of our girls had a allergy. So we wanted to keep her away from that spring and we were deciding what the best method was. So him and I had pushed forward and we actually heard a mountain lion that day above us in the rocks. And I was like, oh man, I hope my girls didn't hear that (laughs) because I don't want to freak them out. Part of me was like, yes, where's that big kitty at? I know I would have loved to see that. And it was cool even because where we were tucked in, we had heard the rocks moving and we had heard what we had thought would be the mountain lion, but not as loud as you guys probably had heard it. We just heard a strange sound. And there are quail and ring-tailed cats out there, so we weren't mm-hmm. super sure what it was exactly, but we were like, ooh, that's a little exciting, you know, an unknown animal just around us. And Well, and the funny part is after we got back, we were, him and I were checking trail cams, and we actually had a, two mountain lions on camera that same night while we were in camp. The night that we heard them, we actually had two on camera, so on the mountain that we were hunting up on five. So it is kind of like that feeling of like, oh gosh, they were right there the whole time. And at any point in time, like you could have ran toe to toe with them. It's just kind of a, a neat aftermath of the story to find out that they were there that whole time. Yeah, it was really exciting. I know that you or Austin had sent me the trail cam pictures Mm -hmm. and I was bragging to everybody, like, look what I was out camping with. And (laughs) Well, it was definitely cool. And we're going to get into the your ram, but where the trail camera was set that picked up those mountain lions was only a couple hundred yards from where you shot your ram. Really? Yes. Yeah. See, that's so, even more exciting. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so that's kind of a, a neat little piece of that story is that cliffside that came down to the sanctuary when we were sitting I think it was on day five or six when we were sitting back in one of the caves watching the sanctuary and watching the top of five that's actually right where that mountain lion those that breeding pair was sitting that's amazing yeah just so that's knowing that just knowing that we tread where they were or they were treading where we had tread it's yeah. definitely something else We will now be taking a short break to hear from our mid-segment sponsors. Weeby Knives, a brand of skinning, fleshing, and butchering knives perfect for the hunters, trappers, and fishermen with a unique high-quality knife for animals of all shapes and sizes. You can find them and more information at WeebyKnives.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Stonehouse Digital Consulting, elevate your small business with Stonehouse's expert marketing solutions. Ignite your online presence and thrive with a tailored strategy to drive your growth. You can find them and more information at stonehousedigitalconsulting.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Livingston County Pheasants Forever, Chapter 465, with a mission to conserve pheasant, quail, and other wildlife through habitat improvements, public access, education, and conservation. You can contribute by joining the meetings on the first Thursday of every month at 7 p.m. at the Howell American Legion Hall on the corner of M59 and Grand River. For more information and to get involved, you can find them at pf465.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Dreamcatcher Charters, a Michigan-based guide service for walleye, sturgeon, and duck hunting. 
With a passion that drives their success, sharing the phenomenal Michigan waterways with everyone. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram. Feather Moon Outdoors, offering calls made from select materials. Every pot is fine-tuned in the house using the highest quality materials available. Also offering diaphragm, slate, glass, grunt calls, and more. For more information, you can find them at feathermooneoutdoors.com or on Facebook, Instagram. Do you enjoy the great outdoors and hope to share that excitement with your kids? Now you can through Dr. Josh Farr's great collection of books. Share your love of nature while also teaching valuable life lessons on friendship and learning the alphabet with books like the ABCs of Hunting. Plus, the ABCs of Hunting workbook is the perfect learning tool to captivate young readers and create a foundation for your future hunter. Find out more about these and other books from Dr. Josh Farr at drjoshfar.com. That's D-R-J-O-S-H-F-A-R-R.com. Stay tuned. More podcasts to come. But to get back on track, so we were, were running through the riverbeds and we're, I want to say running at no point in time, I think anybody was really running, but no. we, we were trekking through the riverbeds and we we came up to the pillars to overlook the sanctuary on that, that first night of the hunt to kind of get a, a feel for the mountains and a feel for where the sheep might be or where they might be in the morning. So we sat and we glassed all evening, went back to camp, had meals, and then on day two... We went out technically day two. It was our, our second full day is when we went out and went up to five. And that was a pretty incredible experience for you. I know it was a, a life-changing day for you. So let's hear about that. Yeah. So it was really definitely an experience after we had scouted and got back from the previous evening went to bed, woke up. We'd been told, all right, we're going to try a different spot. We drive around to the backside of five. We look up. And you and Austin go, that's where we're going. So me and the other girls look at each other and we're like, okay, we're getting into it today right off bat. So it was good to go right into it. I usually love doing that. We would go and we would head up and keep in mind, we have, I'd say roughly about 60 pounds of gear, our guns on our backs, ammunition, things like that. Lots of water. I want to say we probably had about 10, 15 pounds of water per person which is much needed, especially out there when it's hot, dry, not used to the environment. So we'd go a couple hundred yards, stop and take a break, go a couple more hundred, keep pushing, find a nice flat spot and take a break. I know that about a half a mile to three quarters of a mile into that hike up, uh, I got to see my first camel spider. And that thing was probably the size of, I would say, two Bic lighters put together. <laughs> so that was a little intimidate, intimidating seeing that those were out there with us. Not being a huge fan of spiders, I'm way more comfortable now after dealing with the camel spiders. But that was definitely a neat thing to see on the way up. It motivated me to keep going, <laughs> keep on moving, watch where I sit, watch where I put my hands. So the process took, I would say, anywhere between two to three hours of us just working our way up, we eventually hit that point where it was just steep, loose rocks. And when I tell you I would have loved to be on a sand dune or climbing up a dirt mound back home instead of that, I thought it plenty of times. <laughs> uh, it was rough. I feel like it was a combination of knowing if you slip, you're going down and you're not going down gently. And just making sure, checking on your buddies. It was a little nerve wracking. 
but it definitely felt good every time you pushed up those couple hundred yards and stopped and caught your breath and hydrated that you were making your way up there. Yeah, it's kind of nice when you make, like when you take those breaks and then you do those hard pushes up that, you know, we were taking it like a little, like a five minute break, water, like take a drink of water, maybe a little snack, just a minute to breathe. And then we'd push up another couple hundred yards and to stop at that next plateau, because there's not many. So you got to pick your battles, but to stop and like, look back at how far you've came is a pretty exciting feeling and like a very accomplished feeling that holy shit I just did that it felt great to know just how far we kept going and kept getting there and I would get that confidence boost and then I'd look up Mm -hmm. and I'd be like oh but we gotta keep going (laughs) this far so that was my thing I kept doing that kept pushing myself up and Also having, you know, kind of crampy, super thirsty, which would be a little easier to handle if I hadn't had been pregnant, I feel like, which is not a big deal. It wasn't terrible, but just having to make sure, you know, stay hydrated, stay hydrated, stay safe, don't fall down, (laughs) don't hit a rock. It was something else. And I'll keep saying it was something else because it's something that's hard to explain unless you get yourself out there and you push yourself mentally and physically but we continued to push and finally after you guys you and Austin had gone up and scouted a little bit when we got more towards the top uh, you had found that cave Mm -hmm. and that cave it was the best Mm -hmm. thing that had happened to me that day (laughs) before of course my odd dad but that was such it was like a reward Mm -hmm. I suppose because we got up in that we tucked in there the sand was cool the rocks were cool all of us fit in there. We got to hydrate, snack, use our little fans that we had gotten at the store with the mist. Mm -hmm. And it was just such a relief. And I had let myself be emotional. Uh, I think that was a little after the first time once we got into that cave, because I was just mentally struggling a little bit. Like, can I actually do this? Am I going to make it? why am I doing this was a couple was a question I asked myself a couple times but once I had got up in that cave and settled down and relaxed and I was like all right we're right here we're gonna get to the top and we're gonna have a great day yeah and for our listeners to paint that picture a little bit a little bit more visually is we had just hiked a mountain about 4,000 feet elevation got to the top mind you we have a couple of girls who are avid hunters, but hadn't ever been put in this situation. We get to the top of this mountain, literally like the crest of the mountain, and we find this cave. Um, and it's open, it's like an open face cave. So it's kind of like a rock, it's tucked in like the shoe shape, it's all in the shade, everything's cool inside, but you're getting all that wind and it's overlooking Mexico, it's overlooking the Rio. And these girls just got to take a good like half an hour break before really another like the final fate climb of like getting over the crust of that mountain because we still had to like go up the steepest part of that like straight up and down piece of slipping rocks into that. But we took that break and I think it was that like ah moment for all of the girls to be like to be able to look down and see where, oh my gosh, that's camp. And oh my gosh, that's where the truck is. And how did we get here? Especially if so quickly, we, we did that in some pretty good time, but all of you girls then made it to the top of the mountain. And I think that was probably one of my favorite parts of the entire trip at the moment. Cause I know that we had 
we had gone ahead of you guys and we had taken packs up and everything. And we, we laid them up top and helped you girls get up there. And to see the reaction from all three of you cresting over the top of that mountain and hitting that flat ground was probably my favorite part of that trip. So I'd love to hear what went through your mind in that moment when you got to the top of five. We got up there, we were climbing um, that steep rock face, putting our feet on, I would say foot-sized rocks, just kind of climbing up there, heaving ourselves up. And I didn't know what to expect at all. I thought it was going to continue to be kind of that steepness. Uh, We got up there and it was... For the most part, I would call it flat compared to everything that we had gone through that day. Um, I got up there and I looked around and I just started bawling just because that was that feeling of self-accomplishment and thankfulness that I had made it up there after pushing myself and doubting myself and achieving what I thought I couldn't do or what I would never do in my lifetime. So I sat there, I had a wonderful cry about it. Um, We all gave each other hugs and it was just such a great feeling that we as a team did this together, pushing each other, encouraging each other, supporting each other through this challenge. And then just making it to that point in the trip of that day that we had made, made it to the top of this mountain. And And you're great. Um, just realizing, you know, exactly what we did, taking pictures because it's not something that you see every day. No. And I, I really have to say, I have to commend you ladies. It is a point in the trip that many men and other hunters before you had given up at that point. So the fact that you ladies, and I have to say like, There was no complaining. There was no like whining. It was every single one of you had this drive, this grit of like, let's get it done. Right. But the fact that like we bring this group of girls out there and they just have no quit and to hear and to see for myself how difficult it is. And it being that like you, you made it to a spot that most hunters have given up has to like give you that accomplished feeling of I went where many, many people have not gone before. I think that was also one of the better rewarding parts of that, just because especially being women, it's usually foreseen as we take it easy and we won't go and push ourselves through these hardships and we won't push our limits. But knowing that we had made it and we had pushed and we had supported each other just felt fantastic. And I will always have that as a bragging right. And I will always encourage other people to take that challenge and to see just how great they are as a person. Because I mean, in general, if I start having, you know, a bad day at work or like, I get overwhelmed at home like today or yesterday, things like that. I think to myself, if you can climb 4,000 feet up a mountain in Texas in the heat and not give up, you can't sit at home or you can't sit at work or your everyday life and give up on something way smaller than that. It was a great personal lesson and personal challenge and something that I'll never let go. And it makes me emotional even to this day to think about it. Um, even after expressing those emotions in the moment, it's, it's like I said, it's something that I would love to just and continue to like replay in my head or play the memory for other people just so they get the idea of exactly how it was and how I felt. So we get to five and we have this 
amazing accomplishment at the top. I think at one point in time, all three of you girls were crying. You weren't like crying, crying. You were like excited. It was that like welling moment of we're here. This is like something I've never seen in my life, just excitement. And that emotion to me made me very, very happy to see, like I said, it was probably one of my favorite points of the trip is just to see how elated all of you were. But then from there, we are like, okay, we're here. We let you girls make some calls because we finally had service at the top. After a few minutes of like a little bit of a break, we start, and I'm talking like maybe five minutes, we start pushing forward. And what happens in the next 15 minutes is when everything changed for you. And I want, I want you to tell us what happened from that moment. So we start trudging forward. Uh, We're walking across the mesas, keeping our eyes open just to see what's going on. If we see any movement, anything, I was looking on the other side, fully expecting there to be some sort of activity on the one across the valley that we were looking over at one of the points. And we kind of work our way down a couple hundred yards down that mesa. And I look up after checking to make sure I'm not stepping on any cactuses. I look up and I see an audad. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I had said something or if everyone just saw it at the same time, but we just, we all froze and we all slowly dropped down. Prior to this, on the way in, we had determined who would go first with shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, I had won the rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> so Austin looks at me and he says, all right, get your gun, get up here. We're going to talk about this. So I go, I get my gun ready as slowly but as quickly as possible and I crawl on my hands and kind of my knees but I also drag my lower half across these really hot flat rocks to get over to Austin and we look and determine what we're going to do. We had continued scooting up to get me to a point where I had a good arrest for my rifle to be able to look and have it steady and have a great shot because we were in a little bit of a dip of that mesa and that sheep was over on one of the edges, laying down, enjoying the sunshine. So I get set up and I'm sitting there, I'm talking to Austin. Uh, We're kind of discussing what the game plan is, where I'm gonna shoot, when I'm gonna shoot. He's gonna give me the call. Um, And then he says, hold on a minute. After we're looking at it, I'm looking through my scope. He says, that's just a really big U. And I came into this wanting a ram. So he looks at me and he says, we can either sit here and wait it out, or you can take the opportunity and take her because she's big. She was big. She was big for being an you. It took us, I want to say, I want to say it took a good couple minutes looking through our range finders because she was only at 60, 65 yards and to someone that's inexperienced, they probably would have thought she was a ram. She was so big and she caught us and it, you know, you were looking through the, the taller thickets of stuff. And I mean, there is grass like that dead, dry grass that we are laying on our stomachs to see through. So she, she did have a little bit of cover. And like you said, she was in that dip, but it was, uh, to me, it was probably one of the biggest use I've ever seen, um, to be able to mistake her. Like she had, she had like a good chaff to her front. She had really good horn and really good mass. And him and I went back and forth of whether it was just a smaller ram or if it was just a really good you. And we finally came to the conclusion that it was a you and you decided to wait. And 
then in a matter of seconds from that, because I was, you know, you and Austin were side by side and you have your gun up and then I'm right behind you guys ranging everything. And then what walks up on us? So out of the corner of my eye and my peripheral, I see movement. (laughs) So I slowly turn my head just enough to get good full vision. And there is an ewe, I want to say about 15, 20 yards away that Mm -hmm. had crested up onto that mesa. And she just looks at us and she stops and we're all sitting there, not moving. In my mind, I'm thinking if this is anything like a deer, we are screwed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we're just kind of sitting there waiting to see what happens. She ended up spooking and going down, but it felt like an hour of her standing there and staring at us and wondering what we were and why we were there and just kind of generally confused. So she goes down. I'm like, oh, all right. There goes my opportunity. The other one's getting up. She's going to take off. In my mind, I was thinking, well, maybe I should just take the shot now, take the opportunity. But then all of a sudden, I look back over to where that first giant you was. And all I see are horns coming up out of that dip. Mm-hmm. And when I tell you there were 40 to 55 sheep in that herd like a wave it was insane (laughs) so we're watching and we're picking through and we're seeing okay are there rams in there Austin ends up pointing out a smaller one that was still about I would say 26 inches Mm -hmm. he points him out and he says okay there's one right there and then I kind of moved my scope over to look at him and he says stop go to the left about 30 yards and I move my scope over and my jaw just hits the floor this ram was ginormous he stood out I always give the example of how in hunting shows they highlight the one that they're going to take and they blur out or black out everyone around it and Mm -hmm. that's what it felt like for me he just stood out and I got on him and Austin's talking to me. He's like, okay, they're moving. They're going to start moving faster. Once he slows down, you take your opportunity if nothing else is around it. And as soon as he got pretty much to the top of that other side of the mesa, which was still about 65, 70 yards away, it was like the Red Sea parted and he was just by himself. So in that moment, I just said, okay, steady, took my breath in, let my breath out slowly and pulled the trigger. And I had fully expected them, like him to run. And I didn't see any movement after that, after everyone else left. So I'm sitting there worried, like, oh, did I miss? And I kind of had that drop in um, excitement and adrenaline. And then everyone else around me, all of you guys start freaking out. And I just start crying again. My adrenaline is through the roof. (laughs) I said things I don't remember saying. And it took me a good 10 minutes to get back to my normal self after that excitement. Because I just look over through the scope again. Because you guys are all lighting up and coming over to me. And there he is. Yeah, you stopped him in his tracks. He didn't take another step. Absolutely dropped him. And... (laughs) (laughs) Looking over, he was ginormous, but once we got packed up, we watched him for a minute to make sure he was down. We packed all our stuff up and we headed on over through that dip, got up, and I could not believe the size of the animal that I had just taken. The fact that these sheep, I would say he was about 350 to 400 pounds. The size of these sheep that live in these mountains, the way that they do and how fast that they move completely blows my mind. Oh, absolutely. To see the terrain 
that like we are slipping and sliding and these rocks are giving away for those animals to move through a mountainside like that as agile and as quickly as they do is quite impressive. Before the trip, I had never even known they existed. And I get up to him. I, th- I don't throw my stuff down, but I put it down hurriedly and <laughs> get over there and I run. I just, I touch him. I'm a toucher. <laughs> and I just get over there. I'm touching his horns. I'm feeling his hooves, running my fingers through his dry hard I don't know how to explain it his hair Mm -hmm. was really dry and sand brushy but also really soft and just taking in this animal and what I had just accomplished and trying to come to reality that I had done this and I had made it up to the top and I got to take this gorgeous animal and make this memory that I'm never gonna forget so it was really hard for me to (laughs) pull off of that moment but I never wanted to leave it at the same time yeah it was a a really your excitement and it's funny that you say that because I actually just watched the video today for for the women of the wild YouTube channel piecing the videos together and your excitement when that shot happens you have that moment of like did I fit him and you just hear Austin yell let's go baby And like, I start screaming and you start crying and you're just so excited and you start throwing profanities because you're like, this just happened. Um, We get up on him. And I I know at one point in time, we kind of pulled you girls aside and we talked a little bit education about like showing you the inside of his mouth because they eat cactus. So when, when you shot him, they were down there grazing and the whole inside of his mouth was just full of those cactus quills. Um, So I know we took a moment to discuss that before we started processing him, which also mine to our listeners is you hadn't released that you were pregnant yet to the general public. So we decided to throw you a little baby shower up on the top of the mountain when you shot that odd ad and we, you know, got all set up and did your like almost like a little maternity shoot for you up there. Yes. And I love those pictures. And I'm going to be telling my, my, my kid about that for a really long time. But when you pulled those onesies and those little baby boots out, I just continued to cry and, and I'm not much of a crier. Um, but just my adrenaline and just everything happening so overwhelmingly at once in a good way. I just could not stop to breathe and just like speak normally And you guys putting those together for me and surprising me and packing those out, just hoping that I got my opportunity was (laughs) something I was way thankful for and made me feel super special. And I absolutely love those pictures and I need to get them put everywhere. (laughs) It's really funny in the mornings when we were packing our bags, because I had them the day before too. Um, when we went up to look at the sanctuary from the pillars. But it was so funny because I remember there was a few times where I was like, hey, just go grab a water out of my pack. And then I'd be like, oh, crap, don't let her go in my pack. Because <laughs> I was literally tucking them in the bottom of my pack. Like, didn't matter if it was one day or seven days, like they were going to be in that pack until you got your ram for that opportunity and like the little baby shoes and everything. And I'm like, don't let Hannah go in my pack. Like she wants a snack. It's in your bag. And I'm like, somebody else get it. <laughs> Yes. And I just, like I said, I love that you guys did that for me and you put that together 
and you were so dedicated to having those there when I got my opportunity if I ever did and it made me feel so great and just made it even a better time knowing that you guys were so supportive and wanted to make it super special for me even though it was special enough already you know definitely something that I don't think any of us will ever forget uh you are the first female to shoot an audit on that mountain in that mountain range um which I thought was also a really nice accomplishment for for you for women of the wild to like have our feet there and to be like the first female group there I think is a really neat feeling. Not that other women haven't shot Audad, but for us to make that accomplishment, make it together as a team, for you to be pregnant, that's kind of an awesome thing all in itself to be the first female to take a an Audad in that mountain range, but also a pregnant female to take your Audad. Like nobody's going to be able to top that. And when I hear these stories of like, you know, these men going out and giving up at the points where you push forward, it's like, yeah, my girl did that. And it feels really good too, because that first trimester is what really, really kicks your butt. And now to the final segment to this week's episode of Women of the Wild podcast. We will conclude this segment by thanking our closing sponsors. Stay tuned for more of this week's episode after this short word from our sponsors. Muzzy Pheasant Farms, a mid-Michigan family-owned and operated pheasant game preserve that is open year-round. Muzzy offers educational courses and hunts. They are family-oriented, creating a great opportunity for new and seasoned upland hunters. With no membership required, come hunt with Muzzy Pheasant Farms. You can find more information at muzzypheasantfarms.com or check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Blast and Cast Guide Service is a veteran-owned and operated Michigan-based guide service for the Great Lakes. With decades of experience of fishing and waterfowl, they ensure a safe and enjoyable trip every time. You can check them out at BlastingCastGuideService.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Ultimate Veteran Adventures. UVA offers outdoor therapy, recreation, and camaraderie through hunting and fishing adventures around the country for veterans, active duty military, Gold Star families, and first responders. You can find them at UltimateVeteranAdventures.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Sawmill Creek Bait and Lures, a husband and wife owned and operated company, the home of the C4, one of the best trapping canine lures on the market. You can find them at sawmillcreekbaitandlures.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Wicked 7 Outdoors, a Southwest Texas outfitter guide service with an exceptional care and quality of backcountry mountain hunts for free-range audad. Also offering high fence and low fence exotics, come immerse yourself in the outdoor experience. You can find Wicked 7 Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram. Misguided Outdoors is a female-driven Michigan-based guide service offering turkey and waterfowl hunts. Misguided is focused on educating women and youth, providing a hands-on hunt experience for all ages. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. We thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. So I know, like, before the trip, and I was telling my family, you know, hey, I'm going to go do this. You're not going to hear from me for a couple weeks. A lot of them were like, you shouldn't go. It's not safe, not a good idea. And I was like, well, you know me, I'm going to do it anyway. So <laughs> it felt really great that I was able to get out there and do it and make that history on that mountain range and set that goal for other women. I would love to hear about other women doing it and giving themselves that drive and that challenge 
um, just to show everybody like, hey, I'm a girl, I can do it, but I can also do it while carrying a baby. <laughs> you know, that stuff where people think, oh, you're supposed to stay at home and be conscious about what you're doing. But I'm always a go-getter and I'm always hard driven. So it, it was definitely something that I'm really glad that I did. Yes, absolutely. That was an amazing accomplishment, not only as a female, but being a pregnant female and doing it with the, the high equivalency that you guys held yourself at of what you were in those mountains is something to be proud of. Um, to get out there and put that effort in and to take yourself completely out of your norm to go do something, you girls held your own and had the like one of the biggest things I have to commend, especially you and and you know, Katie was there and Sam was there. All of you had such a positive outlook. Like there was never a moment of like defeat in any of you. Like I know that you felt it, but you didn't show it. And to be each other's cheerleaders of, hey girl, just a couple more steps or hey, I got an extra snack, take mine. Or, you know, I drank all the water in my pack to grab you one out of somebody else's pack. And like you guys, just the sisterhood that was there to get through was phenomenal to just watch that aspect of it too. And to be a part of that was really, really cool. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that grew a bond with, with you, Sam, Katie, and myself is just having each other's backs in those hardships. Um, did you, did you feel that as well? I definitely felt that. I think the main push on this trip and the main motivator was just everybody else around me. Cause you know, you can get into your head and you can doubt yourself and you can second guess things that you're doing, but having people around you that are positive and, you know, picking you up and telling you, you got this or offering assistance, like holding your hand, helping you up a rock face when you're tired and things like that. It definitely made that bond even stronger. And it made me super thankful for the group that I was with. I honestly feel like if it would had just been me and like my husband or my dad, I would have been like not as comforted and not as, I wouldn't say not as supported, but not as motivated just because of that bond and that feeling that we all had with each other through the trip. Yeah, I can agree with that. I think that sometimes when you go in those in a group that's a little bit more male dominate, a woman can feel a little bit defeated, a little bit easier. I think that when women go with other women, it's very much more empowering, um, which the true testament was getting back home and packing your Audad back out of that mountainside. So for our listeners, I think it was like, I want to say it was like 10, 11 o'clock when you had shot your Audad. Um, and I, I could be off in the time frame, but it was like late morning when you had shot your ram. And then between skinning it, quartering it, deboning it, um, you know, cleaning the skull up, we did all of that at the top of the mountain. And then we spent, I want to say close to two hours of, of us trying to figure out how we're going to get down with this much meat in the most safe fashion possible, because typically the route that is taken like we went over to that rock side and I was like, nope, my girls are not going down that way. And he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, we're going to find another route. And he'd take me and he'd be like, well, here's option B, here's option C. And I was like, well, where's D? Because I'm not taking any of my girls down that rock. And 
we just kept pushing forward until we found it. But it was, I mean, we were racing daylight to get off that mountain. Absolutely. And that was a pressure in itself. Not a huge one, but you know, you want to get out and you want to get down to the bottom where it's at least somewhat flat before daylight goes. And I had thought that getting down would be easier than going up, but I would have much rather gone back up, (laughs) to be honest. Um, Going down, you don't have the best balance and you don't have a stable footing. So there were a few times where me and one of the other girls, we would, our footing would go a little bit, but we decided the best bet was to just slide down on our butts and sacrifice our um, gear. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, you don't think when you're going up, you're not carrying as much weight. You're not already exhausted. You've been out in that sun and you're dehydrated. So going down and like you said, you're, you're, it's almost like your equilibrium's a little bit off going down versus going up that like any amount of leading forward, you could take a tumble, a spill that could end pretty nasty. We had that like debriefing at the top of like, kind of like crab walk, go down. Um, don't lead forward because you still have the weight of not only your audad, but you have the weight of your firearm and your shooting sticks and all that kind of stuff that's weighing you forward that you're top heavy. But you girls like still crushed it going back down that the amount of work to get down off of that hillside is quite intense all in itself. Oh, yeah. And just sliding down the whole way and choosing the best way to go. There were a couple times when we could stand up and walk down. But for the most part, we were sliding down just for speed, kind of cut time down a little bit. But it was a whole nother challenge. And once we had finally hit a couple hours later, once we had finally hit that bottom or closer to the bottom where it wasn't as steep and slippery and rocky, that was a whole nother relief. And, oh, we got it. We're going to get there. And we just kind of trudged on through. It was dark at that point when we hit the riverbed, I believe. Mm-hmm. So we were all using our headlamps and watching where we were walking, kind of going single file just to ensure that no one slipped or stepped on anything dangerous, things like that. And we just kept going and trekking and moving. And I think we finally got back to camp around 2.30 in the morning, Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Yes. I think it was like two, it might've been like 1.30, 2 o'clock that we got back. But then we still had to make dinner and eat something because we hadn't eaten. Like we had just had what we had packed with us. Oh, yeah. So we were hungry and we were running low on water. So we were um, reserving that water a little bit, taking a little bit extra breaks. So it was good. We were all so tired. I think I went and I changed. And at this point, it was freezing. So Mm -hmm. I was still sweaty. But I had to change, get out of my sweaty clothes, let them dry out. I laid down and I think I had passed out at that point, just went to bed. Uh, you woke me up and you brought me food and I ate it half asleep in the tent on my air mattress that was deflated and I didn't even care at that point. And it was just such a long day. I wouldn't say grueling, but it was definitely a test and I was, I've never been that tired in my life, to be honest. No, but I'm sure it was so worth it. It was absolutely worth it. And I would do it all over again. But next time I would be bringing my bow (laughs) to make it even harder for me. 
Which is, is funny because like typically when we guide in those mountains, we tell people like, you can bring it, but bring a gun that your odds of getting a shot on an odd ad under 200 yards is pretty slim. And we had several opportunities through the week where we were seeing, I mean, they weren't rams, but we were getting used within, I mean, I want to say we had a U within 25 yards, probably three different times within that week. Um, and definitely multiple, multiple times of them within 60 yards. So something that you could definitely get within bow range of. And I don't know if it was the the size of the herds that was moving through at that time, or if it was our girls were just, you know, hitting that luck or if we were stealthy enough. But I, I know that there were several times that we got well within a hundred yards. I well, actually had close it closer than that. Well, within 60 yards, numerous times throughout that week, which is pretty uncommon for those sheep. So that was a pretty cool experience all in itself to have sheep so close. You can see their eyelashes. It was definitely really cool just to see them up close and get those close encounters, even if they were brief, just having them, you know, in such a proximity to you that you can see everything on them. It was something else. And like I said, I think next time I go, I'm going with my bow and making it even more challenging for me. So I got to ask you, cause I know we're getting close to the end of the podcast and I got to ask, would you obviously from that statement, but would you go back? I would definitely go back. And if I were to go back, I think it would be an even longer trip into those mountains at camp, bring more gear, but also pack lighter. What would be what would be something you would do different now that you've experienced it for our listeners who haven't done a hunt like this? What is something that you would do different? So I would personally be bringing more liquid IV because it was such a lifesaver for me to add to my water, keep my electrolytes and my hydration up. I would be bringing some bigger variety of snacks. We had plenty at camp, but more to pack out, um, you know, sugars, carbohydrates, proteins, things like that. I was pretty much living off of the protein nature bars Mm -hmm. while we were out in the mountains, um, which was fine. I was starving every time I ate one, but I think it's essential to just have that variety just for your system. Um, And just make sure that I bring a great air mattress just just for bedtime other than that I would do it all the same really oh yeah yeah and I so I agree with you on the air mattresses I know that that was something that is it was kind of one of those um catered moments right like you're in the mountains you don't have anything but to have an air mattress to to lay on I personally would do cots next time instead of the air mattresses that way you don't have to worry about deflation or anything like that just because the area that we're in the temperature changes so much and those air mattresses lose a lot of air just you know it's 100 degrees during the day but it's hit was hitting like 40s at night that it I'm sure that that affected it but also you know you have that hard ground and everything so I personally I would rather have the elevation to put me up a little higher and be on a cot oh yes absolutely or even like you were talking about before the trip ended like going up and packing out a light campsite and Mm -hmm. staying up on top of one of the mesas or in one of those caves and having that different, that change of elevation and grounding just for sleeping. Um, Mm -hmm. That would be exciting too, for sure. And I think I'd be interested in that the next time we go too. 
yeah, having that, um, a small camp to pack up. And once you've made that, that hard trek up. So, and for our listeners, the way that the mountain range we were in, when we're referring to five, there's, there's six mountains and they, they kind of come down a line and they almost L shape. So we were at basically where that L starts to tee off. It was, was number five. It's a very high elevation for that mountain range compared to the other mountains that we were on. They all kind of plateau at the top. Um, but the sheep really seem to hug that area that we're in. And I, I had said that after this trip is to do a small camp, pack up and just hang out. You do all that hard work to get up there. Why not make the best of it and stay up there for a few days, especially with how grueling it is to get back down. Um, one of the concerns that I had mentioned after we got back and saw those mountain lions on camera just a couple hundred yards from where you shot your ram, actually, I mean, where you shot your ram, because the way the mesa dipped right there, the mountain lions were probably within 150 yards from where you where your ram was standing. So within a couple hundred yards of where we were, but probably only 150 from where those where that sheep was laying. Um that it was like, man, could you imagine? Like, if we would have done the camp there, we potentially could have saw a lions that night. That's kind of a cool thing, all in itself, too. And it, you know, in in those mountains, we have javelina, um, the ring-tailed cat. So there's opportunity to see more wildlife in those areas as well. Oh yeah, and I know that one of the nights at base camp that we had, I believe to be javelina or wild pigs rummaging around our campsite which was exciting and I think it would just be way cool to also just have that little extra smaller camp and move around and conserve that energy for larger pushes throughout the day or early in the morning so we know what we're doing next time right absolutely I'm game for it I'm ready for so it you're ready. and that you get that baby out and you're ready to go you let me know and we'll hit those mountains again sounds good to me so we're at the end of our podcast, but I want to say thank you for sharing the story of this truck that we did this spring, your experience and just how it, you know, through your point of view, how everything went and how much you enjoyed it, how much that opportunity meant to you. It's, it was a really great experience to witness firsthand. And to our listeners, we will have a YouTube video coming out of Hannah with her harvest from that trip. And to give you a little bit better visual of what our girls endured on that, it, that two weeks we were out in Texas. And we're really excited to share that with you. We have a lot of really great things coming up. We have our Women of the Wild calendar, uh, annual calendar contest running. And when this airs, the new calendar should be released. We also have our cookbooks of our wild game recipes. So we'll have to have Hannah throw an odd ad recipe in there. And we have some trips coming up. We have an educational goose hunt or an educational field course. And then we have our annual Sandhill Crane trip down in Texas again in Lubbock. So a lot of really great things to come. But Hannah, before we sign off, I would love for our listeners to be able to follow you and follow your journey. So if you don't mind dropping your Instagram, Facebook, or any way that girls or anyone that wants to get in touch with you. Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram. My tag is underscore redfox98 underscore. And I do have a Facebook page that I created recently as well 
called Hannah Weigold Outdoors. And I'm just kind of growing that and posting on there, but I will hopefully be having more content posted more frequently soon. I also have my personal Facebook, but I would prefer if you follow this outdoors page just to get that going and get that promoted. But I am always on Women of the Wild trips. I am on as many as I can get on. (laughs) So you'll see me on their page as well. Thank you so much for having me on again. And I can't thank you enough again for the experiences that you've given me the opportunity to get and take and everything that you do for women, veterans, and children through this group. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's it's always an absolute blast to have you out with us. And we look forward to having you on many, many more. You, you've definitely conquered a lot of Women of the Wild events. So to say that you will be on most of them is is probably a fair statement because there's not many that you you haven't attended. <laughs> no, it's a great group of people, great events, a great variety, and I'll keep on coming. You guys won't get rid of me. I love it. Well, Hannah, thank you so much. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on the next adventure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Women of the Wild podcast. Please be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and all social media platforms. You can check out our website for up-and-coming events, courses, merchandise, calendars, and cookbooks on womenofthewild.net. And as always, leave the road and take the trail. Find your wild.